This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. There is a space between reality and fantasy, between light and dark, between rational and irrational. In this space, there are stories. Between these stories, there are interludes. This interlude is called palindrome. Reverence to the return. Part 1. Nolan. Three steps forward, one step back. Then forward another ten steps, one step backwards. One, two, three. The man said quietly in the dark corner of the street he had just reached. It took some time getting there. Him walking forward and back, but that was expected. Nolan had done this little ritual many times, stepping forward and then back, as if dancing a well-calculated dance. He looked around. The day was slipping away slowly, and in the shadows of each retreating ray of light, darkness lurked. Nolan tapped his foot impatiently. One, two, three. Three, two, one. He tapped his lips moving slowly as he counted out the taps. It was time to go. The man turned and headed down the alley, disappearing into its dark ambiance. A, he whispered as he walked. N-N-A. Anna. Nolan's hands formed fists, and he clenched and unclenched them as he walked. R-A-D. Nolan kept spelling quietly as he walked. A R. Radar. It was silent around him. Only the sound of passing cars was heard among his frantic whispering. L-E-V-E-L. Nolan continued to spell out as he walked. Level. He swallowed hard as if realizing something remarkable. There was a powerful beam of light behind Nolan, and he turned, startled, his fists clenched so hard he could feel his nails digging into the skin. An old green car pulled up next to Nolan, and the driver's side window rolled down slowly to reveal a familiar old face. I thought it was you, a soft voice said from the driver's seat. You heading to work? Work. Nolan stared ahead as if surprised, then nodded his head slowly. Yes. Yes, I am, actually. Without another moment's hesitation, Nolan walked around the old car to the passenger side and a second later was sitting next to Mr. Borob, whose massive body was stuffed behind the wheel. Listen, buddy, Mr. Borob said as he took a sip of his coffee. What a day today, eh? You feeling okay? Because me, I am not at all okay. I could barely get out of bed tonight. I thought about not coming in, but then didn't want to put you in a bind. But I sure do feel sick. Mr. Borob coughed slightly as if to prove that he was, indeed, on the verge of collapse. Nolan sighed and stared ahead. The car turned onto the main street, and the lights whizzed past him quickly, their neon glow reflecting on his tired, thin face. It's okay, Nolan replied, still looking ahead. Why don't you nap for a bit? I can cover for a few hours. Lifesaver, Mr. Borob exclaimed and sipped his coffee again. I owe you one. I really do, buddy. Nolan did not respond. He stared ahead, thinking of Anna. 
Oh, it was magnificent. She was just as magnificent as he had imagined her to be. A-N-N-A. Nolan spelled quietly to himself, his eyes closed. What was that? Mr. Borob was looking at Nolan. An odd kind of look. Nolan had no idea what it meant. I didn't say anything. Nolan responded and turned toward the window, staring out at the glow of the passing lights. The car made a turn, and suddenly the brightness intensified, dancing against the moving vehicle in different blinding colors. Nolan saw the unmistakable glare of sirens. Will you look at that? Mr. Borob slowed down to a crawl and rolled his window down, sticking out his neck as far as it went. What is it? Nolan's voice sounded even and disinterested. He himself stretched his neck around Mr. Borob so as to get a better look. As the car creeped past the scene, the two men could just make out a body, covered in shattered glass and grotesquely spread out on the pavement. It was certainly a human, but the state of the body was so disfigured that it was hard to recognize it as such. The whole sight was terrifying and gory. An ambulance worker hurriedly covered the mess up with a white sheet, and the horrible sight disappeared from view. Mr. Borob sped up and remained silent. No one saw that Borob was pale, even more so than usual, and his face was contorted into something that no one could not quite understand. He thought back to the body, sprawled out and raw, and his heart beat faster. Nolan clenched his fists, excited and happy, yet failing to understand why he should feel such exhilaration just then. Oh, buddy, I think I'm going to be sick. Mr. Borob was still pale, and Nolan noticed with some surprise that Borob's forehead was covered with tiny beads of sweat. Mr. Borob swallowed hard and wiped his forehead with the back of his sleeve. Did you see that? That was really something. Mr. Borob stared at Nolan, that same strange expression on his face. Oddly, that look reminded Nolan of Anna. Nolan thought that look may have been fear, or perhaps disgust. He furrowed his eyebrows slightly, turning his lips down, straining, in an attempt to copy the expression. Why would Mr. Borob want to do that to his face when it feels this uncomfortable? Nolan could not tell, yet the effort paid off. Oh yeah, you saw, I can tell, Mr. Borob said and shook his head, as if trying to dislodge the last memory and shake it off. What a shame, Mr. Borob continued. Probably got fed up with it all and decided to end it. There was a pause, a silence that grew and became uncomfortable. Nolan did not notice the discomfort, but Mr. Borob shifted and coughed. You think he jumped or someone pushed him? Nolan looked at Mr. Borob, a look of surprise on his face. Who? What do you mean, who? The, the poor bastard, of course. You did see him there on the pavement, didn't you? Oh, him. Yes, I do remember now. Nolan thought for a moment. I think he was pushed. There was glass everywhere. Mr. Borob mumbled something under his breath, shook his head, and kept driving. He did not say anything else for the rest of the ride. The car made another turn and a moment later pulled into an empty parking lot. Well, here we are. Mr. Borob killed the engine and proceeded to squeeze himself out from behind the wheel. Nolan was out in a minute. He stood, his back to the car, staring at the sky above him. 
There was a look of wonder and amazement on his face that remained as he tapped a cigarette out of a pack of tenants. A click of the lighter, and he inhaled deeply. The cigarette died quickly, and when it was done, both men headed for the little door at the side of the large concrete building. It took a moment to enter and swipe their badges, and once they were on the inside, they both entered a small, dull room. There were no windows, and the place was lit up with a large fluorescent light on the ceiling. This made the whole place appear small and somewhat sinister. Mr. Borob took off his oversized jacket and placed it over a chair. He readjusted his uniform. Nolan was only wearing a light hoodie. He took it off to reveal a similar uniform underneath. The two men entered a tiny, adjacent room, where two other men sat at the monitors drinking coffee and eating. All right, your time's up. Mr. Borob's large bulk made the tiny room appear even smaller, claustrophobic. Nolan nodded to the men, and a moment later, him and Mr. Borob were once again the only two people in the room. Nolan stared at the row of video monitors and yawned. He glanced at the computer adjacent to him. Well, if you don't mind, I need a couple of hours. Just nudge me if there's anything. Mr. Borob leaned back in his chair, closed his eyes, and folded his big hands on his chest. Nolan did not say anything. He stared at the man until he heard Mr. Borob's breaths get deeper. Satisfied that Mr. Borob was asleep, Nolan turned to the computer. This was the best part of his job. He occasionally glanced at the video monitors, but most of his attention was on the computer. He opened several browser windows, all in private mode, and logged into a few sites. He roamed many of these sites, but there was one he loved most of all. It offered a way to talk to anyone, join conversations, meet people even. In fact, he was so enthralled with this site that he created many different profiles for it, out of necessity and also to have some fun. The moment someone became hostile, the best solution Nolan could think of was to use one of his many personalities and engage that person again, only this time as someone else. It was a strange sport, but Nolan enjoyed it immensely. He was sometimes confused when someone blocked or ignored him, but that did not mean the conversation had to be over. The conversation was never over until Nolan decided it was. There were others, of course, other people who used different monikers just like him, pretending to be many when in reality they were only one person. Nolan could pick them out of the crowd, knew their patterns, even figured out who some of them were. There was an unspoken rule between them and they tended to stay out of each other's way, leaving each other alone in a mutual respectful kind of way. They got what each of them wanted, understood the thrill of it. And it was a thrill, this lurking around as so many different people, making up personalities that were part of himself but were not really him. The one thing Nolan especially enjoyed about this was the women. He enjoyed meeting somebody close to him, so that he could get a chance to really meet this person, really get to know her. Like all single men, Nolan was hopeful, so he searched and reached out, trying to engage in conversation. He would type in a name he most fancied, like Eve or Ada or Hannah, and search. When a woman would block him or stop talking to him, he would simply use another profile. 
things were good. Nolan logged on as his latest personality, and a wave of excitement went through him. There was a message from Hannah. He had been pursuing Hannah, getting nowhere for a long time. Finally, Nolan had an idea to do some research and look through Hannah's friends and family. He eventually came across a friend of hers that was inactive for some time. Nolan stole the friend's picture and created a whole new profile that looked a lot like him, like this Otto. He approached Hannah as Otto, and before long they were talking, actually having real conversations. It was a thrill. Nolan stayed vague and changed the subject anytime something unfamiliar came up. A few times, he had to do more research and find common friends he was supposed to know, research little details of their lives. But it was easy finding the information Nolan needed to keep Hannah believing he was her friend, Otto, and not himself. If there was something Nolan knew well, it was the many open, easily accessible profiles of people that existed in this other world, the world of networks, connections, and endless information. So Nolan typed away, asking her questions and doing his best to sound the way that he thought he should sound, the way Otto would talk. It was not uncommon for him to search for a similar conversation and try to steer it into the same direction, using it as a manual of how to talk to Hannah. Little by little, Hannah opened up, engaging in mild flirtations and even sending an occasional winky face, which thrilled Nolan, whose heart beat faster each time that she did it. What are you up to tonight? Hannah asked, and Nolan paused. He'd learned not to respond right away. Instead, he used this time to look up more women. Eve. He typed and scrolled through the women that looked unfamiliar and promising. After at least ten minutes, Nolan would finally respond to Hannah. Just watching a game. What about you? His heart beat fast and there was tingling in his hands. Something heavy shifted next to him and let out a labored sound. Oh, eh. Borob let out as his eyes flickered. Nolan turned the computer slightly, but kept the browser window open, staring at it as, as if waiting for the most important piece of news. Is that Anna you're talking to, eh? Mr. Borob's voice was quiet and hoarse after his nap. Anna? Oh, her. No, uh, no, this is someone else. Nolan minimized the window and looked over his shoulder. He wished Borob would go back to sleep and leave him to his conversation, but the man had a different agenda. He pulled himself up and sat straight, wiping his forehead once again. Man, I had a terrible nightmare about that guy. You know the one we saw earlier today? Nolan stared at the man, saying nothing. He seemed to once again forget about the grotesque body on the pavement. But Mr. Borob was still disturbed. He stared at the video monitors in front of him. Anything? Nolan shook his head. No, nothing at all, just like always. Don't you worry. Go ahead and talk to your girl. Anna, is it? I'm not talking to her anymore, Nolan said with a slight smile. Anna is finished. Well, too bad for her, Mr. Borob said with a wide smile and a wink. And you already found another girl. Good for you, buddy. Nolan stared at Borob, his face blank, but did not utter another word. He examined Borob, his neck thick and poking out of his shirt collar awkwardly. 
Borob was staring at the monitors and was not paying attention to the computer. Satisfied, no one resumed his conversation. Where did you go? Hannah typed in the meantime. Listen, I want to see you. Nolan typed quickly, then froze. It was a bold move, but he was fairly confident that Hannah would go for it. She lived in the same city. He had looked her up a long time ago. There was a long pause. We don't have to if you think it's weird, Nolan typed. Only we talk so much, I I thought we could grab a drink and have a real conversation. What do you think? This time there was only a short pause. Nolan sat back and stared at the screen, his heart beating fast and his hands clenched into fists, then unclenching. Okay, let's meet, Hannah typed. You're still in the area, right? Nolan's blank face changed into something that resembled a smile. Yes, he typed, his eyes sparkling. Why don't you pick the spot? Hannah was sitting with her back to the door. Nolan recognized her right away. Her hair was dark brown, its dark curls falling elegantly around her back and shoulders. Her shoulders were exposed, and Nolan noticed a tiny tattoo peeking out of her dress strap. It enraged him suddenly that this tattoo would peek out exactly where it did, ruining the careful symmetry of her back. It was perfect otherwise, he decided, and walked forward toward Hannah, a little annoyed. It seemed like a dream, him walking up to her this way. She had no idea who he was, had never seen him. What a feeling, Nolan mused. What a great sensation this is to play with her like that. He was completely in control. Nolan sat down in front of her carefully and placed the palms of both of his hands on the table. Hannah stared at him, and for a second her face changed. Nolan had no idea what she was feeling, but years of experience with other people told him it was probably confusion. Hannah looked around as if trying to find somebody in the crowd of strangers around her. Nolan did not move. He sat, staring straight ahead at Hannah, the palms of his hands still on the table. Can I help you? Hannah broke the silence. Hannah, it's me. Nolan forced himself to smile and tilted his head sideways. I don't know you, Hannah protested, and her voice was starting to sound anxious. She probably realized what had happened, Nolan decided, but was still processing the situation. Of course you know me, Hannah, Nolan said again with a smile. We have had so much fun talking to each other. You know exactly who I am darling. Hannah stared ahead and her face changed. Nolan knew at that moment she understood the situation perfectly. I cannot believe you would do such a thing, she said angrily. It is disgusting what you did. Is it? Nolan was confused. Hannah did not reply. She got up and quickly headed towards the door. Nolan got up and followed her. Hannah looked back, her face anxious, but kept going for the exit. Nolan had seen this look before. He knew it well. His only hope was that Hannah did not stay at the bar and would not tell some stranger about him and what he'd done. His hope was that she would keep moving toward the door. Hannah got outside and headed for her car. Nolan was behind her. Hannah, oh Hannah, you see this is all very harmless. Listen, dear Hannah, I only want to speak to you. The smile was still on Nolan's face. He realized it was a bit of an odd thing to do, to be smiling like this, but he really could not control it. 
Of course, why shouldn't he be smiling? He was so happy to see Hannah. Hannah, darling. Nolan reached out for her arm. All he wanted to do was stroke it. Make Hannah comfortable. Make her understand. But there it all fell apart. It always fell apart this way. Every time, Nolan thought bitterly. Hannah's face changed into something Nolan had seen before, but failed to comprehend. Was she upset with him? He looked into her face, his eyes large with excitement and a smile still planted on his face. In fact, that smile seemed to be frozen into his features now, and there was nothing Nolan could do to change that. Get away from me, you creep, Hannah said. Get away or I'll scream. (laughs) Oh no, no darling Hannah, Nolan pleaded with her. You have it all wrong. It was useless. Hannah backed away from Nolan, that same look on her face, the look that made Nolan so angry. He thought back on that tattoo, peeking out of her dress, ruining everything, ruining the whole symmetry. He wanted to see her perfect, exactly how he pictured. And then, then that tattoo appeared and ruined it all. What a horrible shame. H-A-N. Nolan spelled out in a half-whisper. N-A-H, Hannah. His hands clenched and unclenched automatically. H-A-N-N-A-H. Nolan breathed loudly, a smile still planted on his face. L-E-V-E-L, level. Nolan kept spelling. Hannah froze. Her face had this odd expression on it. It was driving Nolan insane. What a strange expression it was, Nolan mused. They all make this expression every time I meet them. And what a pity I cannot tell what they're really thinking. So Nolan got closer, trying to make make that connection he longed for so so desperately. One, two, three, three, two, one. Nolan tapped with his foot as he approached. One, two, three, three, two, one. Palindrome, part two, Anna. Hello, Cemetery Troll here. I'm the narrator for Season 4, a brief love memoir of a cemetery troll. Let me tell you about Spotify. On Spotify, you can listen to all of your favorite artists and podcasts in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. Premium users can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you are. You can easily share what you're listening to with your friends on Instagram. If you haven't done so already, be sure to download the Spotify app, Search for Pi Rational Stories on Spotify or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Also be sure to follow so you never miss an episode of Pi Rational Stories. Hi, this is James Renner and thank you for listening to Palindrome. If you're a fan of true crime podcasts, I have one with a slightly different perspective than most. It's called The Philosophy of Crime, and it tackles some of the biggest questions about unsolved mysteries by looking to classical philosophy for answers. You can listen and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and most everywhere else podcasts are available. And please check out philosophyofcrime.com for updates and information on past cases. And now, back to Palindrome. So Nolan got closer, trying to make make that connection he longed for so so desperately. desperately. 
1-2-3-3-2-1. Nolan tapped with his foot as he approached. 1-2-3-3-2-1. Palindrome, Part 2. Anna. 1-2-3-3-2-1. Anna whispered as she punched in the numeric code that unlocked her iPhone. She minimized her screensaver, that photograph of her and Jared on the booze cruise, bringing up her apps. The screen was crowded with social media applications. The usuals. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, Insta. And the obscure. Seven Cups, Holla, Quack. Each app had a little red number above it, telling her how many messages, how many propositions awaited. She felt that familiar warmth run over her body, that tingle of anticipation. Who would it be tonight? She kicked her feet up on the couch and began to review the prospects. Her two-year-old, Bichon, jumped onto the armrest and bit at her toes. Fyodor, she said. Stop. Fyodor, full name Fyodor Dogstoyevsky, huffed loudly and then settled down into a white ball against her hip. There was a Marine named Chet coming on strong in her Insta DMs. His profile picture showed him fishing off a rowboat in a muddy lake, biceps flexing under a thin shirt. I want to know what you taste like, he'd written earlier that day. Meat tonight, she typed. Next, Anna jumped over to Hala, where she'd been flirting with a 50-year-old married father of three who worked at a local bank. He was Jared's favorite. It was the age thing. You make me feel young again, the man had written to her at six in the morning. Meet tonight, she typed. Best to keep it consistent. On the very newest app, she found several messages from Nolan. These were not messages, really, more like short stories. 500-word essays on the things he would do to her. His profile picture was fake, though. Anna had run a reverse image search on TinEye and discovered the man in Nolan's photograph was a used car salesman from Muncie named Hank Riggenbacher. It was the thrill of the unknown that intrigued Anna. Nolan could be anybody. She pictured a pasty, heavy-set man in his 40s, a virgin still, as she came to the end of his messages, Anna drew in a breath. Meet tonight? Nolan had asked. Takunan Noodle Company, she typed. 7 p.m. Anna was early. She picked a table in the back so that she could see everyone who came into the restaurant. She ordered a sake and sipped at it while she waited. Her head buzzed immediately, a pleasant euphoria rising inside her. While she waited... She slid her wedding band off and pushed it deep into her pocket. At a quarter after seven, she began to get a little nervous. Sometimes the men never showed and the evening was wasted. Sometimes they had second thoughts, chickening out when a woman finally said yes. Some men only wanted to talk. Anna, said the man sitting at the table beside her. He'd been there since she'd come in and she'd not given him a second thought. He was young maybe 25, still a little acne on his cheeks. There was something off about his mouth, like maybe it was smaller than it should be for his face. Nolan, she asked. He came over and sat across from her. 
You don't look like your profile, she said, because that's what she was supposed to say. Really, she didn't care. He would do. If I use a real picture, nobody agrees to meet in person, he said. But I really enjoyed our conversations. A girl like you, would you have really come to dinner with me? She ignored the self-pity. Nothing turned her off faster than a man with no confidence. I enjoyed our conversations too, she said. The server came and brought them food and drinks. They made small talk. Nolan was bad at it. Asking her questions, he must have got off a YouTube dating tutorial, but not quite getting it right. Do you have lots of brothers and sisters? Tell me what you do, Nolan, Anna asked when the noodles came. I have a very important job, he said. I'm really not supposed to talk about it. I'm good at keeping secrets, though, she said, lowering her voice playfully. You know that, don't you? Nolan smiled. Then he looked behind him to see if they were being watched. I work at the plant, he said. She shook her head. What plant? You know, the plant. Wait, are you talking about Brody? Shh. You work at the nuclear power plant? Hey, shh, he said. But he was smiling now, proud. And there was the confidence, finally, even if it was misplaced. Me and this guy, Mr. Borob, we work nights. Security. Monitoring camera feeds all around the plant. We watch for terrorists. And we make sure the techs don't fall asleep in the control room, which they do all the time. I guess you could say we keep the city safe. Wow, she said. That does sound very important. What do you do? I teach kindergarten, she said, down in the valley. That's nice. Let's get the check and go back to my place, Anna said. Would that be all right with you? Yes, ma'am. Anna's apartment was on the ninth floor of an old tenement one block north of the noodle shop. Her bay window looked out on the giant smokestacks of the power plant in the distance. Nice place, Nolan mumbled as he paced around the cozy living room. Fyodor, the Bichon, bit at the cuff of his jeans. Anna turned down the lights. She led him over to the couch, pushing him down. She shooed Fyodor away, and then she sat on Nolan's lap. She took his hands and set them on her hips. How's that? she asked. Good, he whispered. She leaned down and kissed him. Once. Just a brush on the lips. The floor creaked as someone walked into the dimly lit room. Nolan froze. It's okay, Anna said. Who's there? Nolan asked, his voice breaking like a teenager's. It's all right, Nolan. This is Earl Ray, my husband. He just wants to watch. Nolan slipped out from under her and shot up from the couch. He backed away toward the kitchen. This was not what she'd expected. Most times what followed was a bit of awkward conversation. But nobody had left before. Nobody had been afraid before. We cool? Asked Earl Ray. His voice was very deep. We cool, man? It's not a big deal, Nolan, said Anna. Everyone gets what they want, you know? You see, this is all very harmless. You're not honest with me, says the man who uses a fake profile picture. 
said Anna. She went to him. He backed up another step. Kiss me, she whispered. Nolan kissed her, furtively, but his eyes never closed. Anna heard Earl Ray move closer. No, said Nolan, moving away. No, I want to leave. Earl Ray moved between Nolan and the door. His intent was likely to just slow Nolan down long enough to circumvent the weirdness with a little friendly small talk or an inappropriate joke. Nolan, however, was in an unfamiliar place, in the dark, with people he didn't trust. It was the sort of untenable situation his therapist would call a perfectly imperfect storm of shit. What Earl Ray and Anna could not have known was that Nolan had always had difficulties with impulse control. Stay away from me, Nolan growled. Dude, you need to fucking chill, said Earl Ray, and then the man reached out with his hands to offer comfort. Perhaps to Nolan, it looked like he might want to choke him. Gah, Nolan shouted. He grabbed Earl Ray by his shirt, and even though the man was easily twice Nolan's size, he managed to push him backwards. Stop! shouted Anna. What the fuck are you doing? Theodore barked once, then ran under the couch. Earl Ray's ankle caught on the coffee table, and both men lost control of their mass and momentum. Earl Ray was falling, and Nolan, caught on his shirt, was coming with him. The big man tried to adjust his footing and tripped backwards against the plate glass window. It cracked in a spiderweb pattern the sound of ice cracking under a hot sun. Then Nolan fell against him, and the glass shattered. Earl Ray fell back into the void. For a moment, Nolan was coming too. But then he let go, and at the last moment, he caught the window edge with one hand. Anna saw Earl Ray fall, and it was like watching an old 16-millimeter film in slow motion, frame after frame after frame, Earl Ray screamed as he fell, and when he hit the pavement below, the scream cut off abruptly. What did you do? Anna yelled. She ran to the window, her auburn hair billowing around her as the chill wind cut through the curtains. What did you do? Nolan took his leave. He left the door open behind him. Outside, Nolan ran blindly. He didn't care where he was going. He only wanted to create space. Space between himself and the terrible thing he'd just done. His mind was on fire. He wanted to take it back. He needed to take it back, like he'd done before. It was his mother who first told him about the eternal return, Nietzsche. It all comes back around, his mother said, and he could hear her voice in his head, still. That rumbly voice that smoker's voice and he could feel her fingernails on his back soothing him calming him the way she'd done when he'd pushed that kid too hard on the playground Miles who he'd never seen again you can't take it back she said but it will come back around and then you can do something different you only have to wait everything comes back around you'll see It's the eternal return. Nolan stopped, out of breath. 
A car passed by on the street, shining high beams on his face. He was crying. He needed to calm down. He had to be at work soon. How would he manage work? He ducked into an alley. The cobblestones were wet, reflecting the street lamps, reflecting his face. He'd fallen when he was a boy, off the end of the porch, busted his jaw. The doctors did the best they could, but it made his mouth look small forever after. He always looked like he was pouting. I want to take it back, he whispered. Nobody replied. But he remembered the trick his mother taught him after that day on the playground. You could wait for the eternal return. You must trust the cycle, she'd said, her green eyes aglow. Everything comes around in the end. Sometimes. Sometimes if we believe. Sometimes we can hasten it. Bring it into being. You must be reverent to the return. Model it. Conjure it. That's what every palindrome is. Reverence to the return. Let me show you. He danced with his mother in the darkness of the alley, the way she'd shown him as a child. Three steps forward, one step back, then forward another ten steps, one step backwards. Thank you for listening to Palindrome. A crawlspace media production of a pirational story narrated by James Renner and Valerie Bogart. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.